This is Archive Atlanta, episode 166, Women in World War I. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. So this week, we are honoring Women's History Month with the story of Atlanta's women in the First World War. And I kind of want to explain how I got to this episode because it's so random. I was trying to be relevant. You know, there is a war going on in Ukraine. And so I was pulling up, I think I had like a file called World War One, and I found an article I had saved that was amazing. It was about all the women in Atlanta that had been taking men's jobs. And I'll talk about that later. But that started a little bit of Googling. And then um, I think Oakland Cemetery had done pieces on it. There was blog posts. There's basically just been a lot of documentation about how the women of Atlanta lent their efforts to World War One. And so this week, we are going to cover some of those. I'm not going to really talk about this in the episode, but I do want to point out that keep in mind two very big events happening at the same time as World War I. And that is the 1917 fire in Atlanta, which has an episode from a very long time ago. I can't remember the number. And the 1918 influenza epidemic, which also has an episode about epidemics. So it's wild to me to think that we are in the middle of a war. These women are doing all that they're doing. And then they're also dealing with the city's largest fire to date um, and a global epidemic. So let's start with some World War I basic facts. Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his wife, Countess Sophie, were assassinated in June of 1914, and this is considered the immediate cause of World War I. Germany attacked Belgium just a month later, and then the Lusitania was sunk in May of 1915. Throughout these first few years, the U.S. was strongly neutral, and so the war didn't really immediately impact most Americans. And then in April of 1917, the United States declared war on Germany, and by May, President Woodrow Wilson approved the Selective Draft Act, which created a mandatory draft of any American man between the ages of 21 and 30. World War I was the first conflict where American women were allowed to enlist in the armed forces, the Navy being the first, followed by the Marine Corps, uh, and then the Coast Guard. The Army did sort of kind of allow them. Um, They accepted women into the nursing corps, um, but these women were not considered officers or enlisted. The state of Georgia had the most training camps with Camp Gordon and Camp McPherson being in or near Atlanta. Um, And 100,000 men and women from the state contributed to the war effort. So in this episode, I'm going to focus on the women and their work from the most basic, like people that sewed things in their homes to those that gave the ultimate sacrifice, their lives. Before the U.S. officially entered the war, the women of Atlanta were working on agricultural issues. So I talked about this in episodes 27 and 131, which were about Nellie Peters Black um, and the Sweet Auburn Curb Market. And so food conservation was a really big deal. And women in Atlanta formed farmers markets. They planted victory gardens. They trained farmers and housewives. And they established an agricultural school, which had classes for both white and black Atlantans. In 1916, President Wilson established the Council of National Defense to coordinate resources and industry in support of the war effort. In 1917, suffragist Anna Howard founded the Women's Committee of the Council of National Defense, which helped match women's groups um, that needed volunteers. And then it kind of like organized all the women's groups together. It's hard to explain. And so shortly thereafter, the council asked individual states to create their own councils of defense 
to assist the federal council. So 48 were formed after this. Uh, the Georgia Division was formed in Atlanta in 1917, and that was led by Chairwoman Mildred McFeeders Inman, the wife of Samuel Inman. The group encouraged women to enroll in nursing programs. Um, they supported child welfare programs, food conservation stuff, public health. They published weekly bulletins. And a lot of these were written by journalist Isma Dooley, who I'm very fascinated by. And it just talked about like what women were doing you know, in regards to the war. The Young Women's Christian Association, or the YWCA, was established in the 1890s. But in 1917, Woodrow Wilson asked the United States chapter to create a war council, which would again assist in the war efforts, but also help the European YWCAs that had been devastated by the war. The Atlanta branch of the War Council was established in June of 1917, and it was led by Chairwoman Emily McDougall. The plan was to establish a hostess house at Silver Lake where, quote, wives, sisters, and sweethearts, end quote, could be entertained and see their men. And so, again, it's early enough where societal norms were to kind of chaperone a lot of these interactions. And so the men that were at Fort McPherson um, could go out, in a sense, to you know see their loved ones. Hostess houses were found at most military camps. Um, they were often designed by female architects, which was really cool. And so they actually built one months later at Camp Gordon, and that was designed by New Yorker Faye Kellogg. Um, hostess houses were also a significant facet of World War I, um, and the acting secretary of war came to the dedication of this one at Camp Gordon. Lugenia Hope Burns um, was an African-American activist and club woman from Atlanta. I talked about her in the Neighborhood Union episode because she formed that organization. Um, but what I learned in this research was during the war, she was named Special War Work Secretary for the YWCA's War Work Council. And again, at this time, there was uh, separate organizations for white women and for black women. She organized canteen and recreational services for returning black and Jewish soldiers. And then she oversaw the training of hostess houses workers in New York. And then later, after the war, she actually started to challenge the YWCA's discriminatory practices. And she called for black leadership of black branches in the South. The National League of Women's Services, the NLWS, was established in early 1917, and it was created from the Women's Department of the National Civic Federation. So this is divided into 13 divisions. There's social and welfare, home economics, um, agricultural, industrial, medical, nursing, motor driving, signaling, map reading, um, telegraphy, camping. It kind of sounds like the Boy Scouts, um, but the Atlanta branch had committees that oversaw relief efforts. They had stenography classes, typing classes, map reading, x-ray. Um, and so all of these different classes were led by different women. It was Mrs. George Harrington who ran the motor division. And so her job was to form a master list of all registered drivers in the city of Atlanta who were women. And the idea is that they could be called upon to use their driving skills in the case of war-related emergencies. She also established a driving school where women could learn more skills and get like a special certificate. Uh, and my absolute favorite photo of this um, whole organization is they had a wireless class, so like a radio class, and they held it on the roof of the Ponce Apartments. So these are still standing um, catty corner to the Fox next to the Georgian Terrace. And it's just a bunch of women at a table and they're like practicing, I don't know, their radio signal stuff. 
so far I've covered large national organizations that had, you know, local chapters. But the article that sparked this episode was all about these everyday young women and how they were entering into these traditionally masculine industries. In 1917, Johnny Pearl became the first messenger girl for the Postal Telegraph Company. I talked about her briefly in the Bicycle Messenger episode. By 1918, there were women butchers, barbers, elevator girls, shoe repairs, policewomen, dentists, lawyers, bankers, you name it. The first butcher was Sunshine Jordan. She was the first and only lady butcher of Atlanta, or butcheress, as she was sometimes called. And you could find her at Roger's store on Broad Street. The first woman barber was Miss Mae Smith, who worked down on Peachtree Street. Uh, barbering was a very intimate profession, and so it was really subversive to have a woman do this to men that she did not know personally. But Smith really paved the way. So by 1918, by the time of this article, there were several women in the barbering trade. And they asked her, like, you know, how she felt about it. And my absolute favorite quote from her was, um, I have them at my mercy. I tempt them into the chair with a smile. But when I lift my razor, well... They dare not disagree with what I say. I was rather bashful at it at first, but now, why, oh well, I pity their helplessness, end quote. The first elevator girl or elevator operator was Anna Malone, who ran the lift at Bick's shoe store. Uh, the first soda dispensers or soda jerks were Susie Bird, Fanny McCart, and Olivia Brown, who worked down at Woolworths on Whitehall Street. Anita Street was the first woman to do shoe repair, and Miss Thompson was the first milkmaid, delivering milk to the West End via wagon. In the same year, Atlanta National Bank hired 11 women, and the Postal Telegraph Company hired uh, nine more women messengers. And while these young ladies I mentioned uh, were white and they were from working class Atlanta, there were also numerous upper class women putting in their work through women's clubs, uh, the Georgia Federation of Women's Clubs, and then local clubs like the Atlanta Women's Club. These groups pushed for UGA to open their classes to women. They pushed tech to open their School of Commerce classes open to women. It was Nellie Peters Black that would go on to serve as representative for the Department of Conservation during World War I. Um, she was also president of the Conference of Southern Women, director of Schools Garden Army of Georgia, she was chair of the Georgia Division of Women's Council of National Defense, among many, many other things. Helen Douglas Mankin, who was an Atlanta Law School graduate, uh, served as an ambulance driver in the American Women's Hospital Unit, uh, which was like a Red Cross unit in the French Army. And she actually won like this French Medal of Honor. The Red Cross played a huge role in World War I, and so you cannot do this episode without talking about it. Women's roles within the organization are almost too much to cover. The Red Cross was established by Clara Barton in 1881, and in May of 1917, the president created the American Red Cross War Council to aid their initiatives and their activities. And so this helped to raise $400 million over the course of the war. In February of 1917, Atlanta petitioned for its very own Red Cross chapter with the goal of registering 15,000 members. Headquarters were opened in an office on Petrie Street, uh, right across from the Candler Building, and there was a $1 fee to join, and also a huge call for nurses and nurses' aides. So for the former, you needed to have two years of hospital training and take like a special Red Cross um, certification class. And then for the latter, you just needed to have a first aid and a hygiene course. 
Mass membership meetings were held in high society homes across the city, mostly in the homes of Mrs. Dorothy Arkwright, which still stands today. It's at uh, 1585 Ponce de Leon. And so her husband was the first president of Georgia Power, and she hosted, like, too many to count fundraisers that really helped the Red Cross raise money. These women also planned really big Red Cross parades um, that went through the city. By March 1st of that year, there were 7,800 Atlantans that had become Red Cross members and the offices moved to the O'Keefe building. And again, this is about a month and a half maybe before the Great Fire. So it was really good timing that Atlanta had set up a Red Cross chapter right before this big disaster. The Yarab Shriners, which I just talked about in the Fox episode, um, had financed an ambulance corps in France that made Atlanta the first city to do something like that. In June of 1917, there was a call for nurses to serve overseas. So that summer in Atlanta was full of benefit concerts. They were held in both white and black communities. They were also sometimes integrated, depending on how big the name was of who was performing. The first Red Cross diet kitchen in the South was established in Atlanta by the Junior League. What is a diet kitchen, you ask? because I definitely did. So at the start of the war effort, the American Dietetic Association became an organization of women, mostly, who were committed to like improving the nutritional health of the nation. It's really hard to explain. They were just, dietitians were working with the military in the United States and in Europe to, again, get the soldiers what they needed, but also to help Americans um, eat differently and cook differently. Again, part of that food conservation thing. So diet kitchens, I'm not explaining them well, um, but they're really unique. And we had the first one here. Camp Gordon in Chambly had more than 46,000 troops at its height. um, And it was also home to Base Hospital 43. In August of 1917, the staff of this Hospital 43 were called to service overseas. And so this included, among all the staff, 71 female nurses, many from Emory Hospital and Emory University. And most of those women had graduated from Grady School of Nursing and other local schools in Atlanta. I want to talk about one woman in particular, um, and her name was Camille O'Brien. She was born in 1883 in Warren County, Georgia. She attended the University of Georgia, and then she graduated from Atlanta's St. Joseph Hospital School of Nursing in 1916. She joined the Army's nursing corps in the spring of 1918. Um, She was sent to France with Base Hospital 43. And the Emory chaplain that was sent over with them um, just said she never stopped working. And that when he would ask her, she would say, quote, I cannot rest while we are taking in more wounded than we can bandage, end quote. In January of 1919, the unit was brought back home to Atlanta, um, but Camille, along with 40 other nurses, volunteered to stay back and continue to care for the soldiers. Just three months later, she got spinal meningitis, and she died about a week or two after that. She was initially buried in France, like full military funeral, but then her body was brought back to Atlanta and placed in an unmarked grave at Greenwood Cemetery. Amazing update to this story is that in 2019, they installed a beautiful headstone and did like a little memorial for her. I have not seen this yet, but I am actually planning to go this weekend, um, and I will share that with you guys on social media. In November of 1918, hostilities ceased, and questions of what women's roles would become abounded. So there was an editorial in the paper, this was I think in 1919, and a headline said, What will the rich girl volunteer do now? 
November 1919 signals the official end of World War I. Um, and while we used to call it Armistice Day, we now celebrate it as Veterans Day. And so what what did happen to women's roles? Uh, we know that this entrance into the war effort and into the workforce 100% accelerated the push for women's suffrage. Canadian women got the right to vote in 1917. Um, most European countries got it in 1918 and 1919. And American women in 1920. World War I was the prelude for political reform, individual rights, you know, self-love, stuff that women would take with them into the Roaring Twenties and, you know, really lead into the feminist movements of other decades. So there you have it, the story of Atlanta's women in World War I. Thank you everyone for listening. Remember to leave a rating and or a review, and you can visit the Patreon link in the show notes to support the podcast. Hope everyone has a great weekend, and I'll talk to you next week.